Welcome back to the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Kyle Brown. I'm talking today with Richard Mandel of Richard Mandel Golf Architecture and author of The Legendary Evolution of Pinehurst, Home of American Golf. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Kyle. Glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you. We're talking because there's a lot of focus on Pinehurst right now, and that's one of the most storied courses in our industry, especially Pinehurst Number 2. How has Pinehurst helped define how we think about golf? Well, Pinehurst is known as the home of American golf, and it truly is from a marketing standpoint and from a historical standpoint as the golf courses that Pinehurst grew over the years. It was the first resort in America to have four golf courses and then five golf courses coming out of one clubhouse. So in that regard, it truly is the home of American golf. But people seem to have gravitated towards Pinehurst number two, and Pinehurst number two has become the championship course of all of the Pinehurst courses. That moniker came out of the really simple fact that it was long enough to host championships, even as far back as 1936, which is the, the first time they had a championship there. From that moment on, number two distinguished itself. But interestingly enough, it wasn't necessarily because of the greens or, or the design of the course, more so than that it was the longest course at Pinehurst even back then. That's why the focus is on number two. Now that said, there are things at number two that have truly made it a very unique place to play golf, and we have to start at the greens complexes more than anything else. For me, the, those greens complexes define golf because that's where the fun and the challenge are. The fact is that what makes it so unique are the greens complexes, and again, that's from fun and challenge, as opposed to brute strength for the average golfer. It's a little different for the professional, but nonetheless, they're finding that out last week and this week. Mm. Martin Keimer, he might have been playing better than everybody else, that's true, and he might have been striping the ball better than everyone else, that's true, but he also led the field in scrambling and getting up and down, and he did that with a putter more than anything else. He kept the ball low to the ground. So number two's greens are historic. You know, they're iconic, and you can't really change those greens because of their iconic status, similar to like the way we look at the bunkers at Augusta National. Even though the bunkers aren't what we think about at Augusta National, the bunkering that we see today there is iconic. Mm -hmm. Yet both features, the greens at number two and the bunkers at Augusta, are not actually what Ross or Mackenzie originally intended. And the actual greens, the severity of the so-called turtleback greens, were not what Ross originally did. Ross did have a lot of contour on those greens. But his greens were a lot larger, not a lot, maybe 10, 15, 20% larger. What happened was in the early 70s, there was a renovation done by Diamond Head Corporation, which came in and purchased the golf course around 1970 from the Tufts family. And they came in and they really basically took a bulldozer, and when they were rebuilding the bunkers, they sort of eliminated a lower shelf from off these greens. And so it went from a large green, which you know sort of cascaded back to grade, into a smaller putting service that just tumbled straight down, which is probably the best way to describe that. And if you look at the greens, you can see how the transition from the greens to the ground is a little abrupt. Now, not to say that the features that Ross and his people were building back then weren't abrupt. They were. But the fact is, if you look at the old photographs, those greens are a lot bigger. And we've got a lot of those photographs in the new Piner's book. So there is a little bit difference look there than what Ross originally intended, and the greens are a lot more difficult. And so we've sort of stereotyped Donald Ross over the years into these turtlebacks, but he really had nothing to do with the final look of those greens. So how we define golf 
today the golf course is completely different than it was in 05 and 99. There are just some general basics that we need to take from what we see at number two since the restoration that can apply to anywhere. I mean, I apply a lot of that to my work. I've been doing that for the last decade, really, or 20 years that I've been in the business, certain tenets of strategy and width. And the first thing I think of is not that they've cut water usage, but I think that the fairways are back to how wide they originally were, you know, 40, 50 yards wide. And what happens now is restoring those fairway widths brings back angles and options off the tee. Ross is pretty straightforward. So he, he didn't hide things or challenge people to overthink things. He was pretty straightforward with the strategy. But the more important thing is he did develop strategy, and that strategy happened in width. Whereas before, it became an open course with 25-yard wide fairways. The right side of the fairway versus the left side of the fairway was really separated by 10 yards, you know, 10, 15 paces maybe. The angles were lost, and so a lot of the strategy was lost at number two. To me, that defines golf for the mass and makes golf fun and enjoyable and not just about brute strength and accuracy. It also will define golf moving forward because there's not such a premium on such perfect green playing conditions. That course is turning brown as we speak, and that's okay. They're watering it nightly just to get the dust off, but they're not going to let it go bad. And people who aren't familiar with Bermuda grass will look at this and just flip out. But it's just going into a bit of a dormancy, and it'll come back, and they'll water it after the open. It's brown is the new green concept. And so I think that is the future of golf. But we're not going to replicate such weedy areas that we see at number two in, say, Massachusetts or Cleveland, Ohio, or, or any place like that, unless those are the native areas regardless of golf. But what we can do is buy fairways and stop watering the rough so much and just let the rough be rough. That's what it was. As part of your book, you talk about the restoration of the number two course. Can you tell me what did the restoration mean for Pinehurst? First and foremost, it did minimize water usage, which is good no matter where you are. And uh, I think they're quoting 55 million gallons of water now is reduced to 15 million gallons of water on an annual basis. And part of that is because they've gone back to single rail irrigation, but also part of that is that they have stopped overseeding their fairways for the winter, which means they don't have to worry about watering those fairways. Also, it gets back to their roots. Right, it's a restoration. And they went back to, they had aerial photography from 1943, and they used that and the knowledge of where the irrigation main line is to remove a lot of the grass that had been added over the years. And so it's going back, and now it's not just a USGA brute anymore. It's a strategic, historic golf course, restored as far as they can without having Don Ross in the room. The course has had a very distinctive look during the Opens, and you've talked a little bit about how that's affected things, but do you think that will change things going forward? I hope so, because Pinehurst may or may not have lowered their green fees, and their fees are pretty high, and it's not the place for affordable golf necessarily, but moving forward, it's very costly to have so much input as far as water, irrigation, and fertilizers and chemicals to reach that ultra-green, verdant look. And so if we can get away from that, and get back to where golf was 30, 40 years ago, conditioning-wise, it's more sustainable and costs can be reduced. Mm. But also, I still think it, it, it's more fun. Unless you're Bubba Watson and you average 300 yards off the tee, not everyone can hit the ball very far. <laughs> and we all would like a little bounce and roll, more so than a T 
tee shot plugging and backing up a foot even. So I, I hope that the golfers do embrace it because it's easier to maintain and it's going to result in a more fun, enjoyable experience. Pinehurst number two is influential, of course, in our industry. But we can't say, okay, this is the prototype and this is the only place it's ever been done and now we're all going to learn from Pinehurst number two. Because a lot of us have been doing things similarly for years and years. And, and I have had the philosophy of fun and fast and firm for many years. And so have many other architects. So um, we we, we, we got to be careful in giving Pinehurst number two all the credit in the world. What they're doing is going to reach the masses much more so than the projects that I'm working on. And that's true. But a lot of us have been doing this for many, many years and looking towards this. But now it's become mainstream, and so some of our work will be more accepted. And you know, some of the work we're working on right now, we've got a very famous municipal golf course in St. Paul, Minnesota, in Maplewood, Minnesota, called Keller Golf Course. We did a complete renovation back in last year, and it'll open in about a month. And one of the things we did there is we removed a lot of trees, we widened fairways, we didn't create native areas because you can't do that in that area of Minnesota because there's no such thing as native areas, so to speak, there. It's woods. And so we didn't do that. But, you know, we're not overwatering things. We've got wide fairways. We have central hazards. I've got two holes. We've got bunkers pretty much in the middle of the fairway, but the fairway is 50 yards wide throughout except for the pitch points where those hazards are. That's a great project that we're really looking forward to opening. We're also working at a, in another municipal course, which is a Donald Ross a restoration down in Savannah, Georgia, a place called Bacon Park Golf Course. So what we're actually doing is we're going to let the old nine holes that are split among three nines go, and we're just restoring the Ross 18. And so they'll have 18 holes of Ross, and then down the road they'll figure out what to do with the land with the remaining holes. And it's a lot of fun. And again, we're not creating sandy, wiregrass native areas, but we are not focusing on the rough, and we're going to let the, the rough be... Um, Bermuda, we've widened fairways. So that's a real fun project because we're actually going to rebuild Ross Greens that have changed so much over the last 80 years. So business is good. Well, it's great to hear. Where can we find some more information about what you're working on or about your book? Well, you can go to our website. It's golf-architecture.com. You can go there also and find a link to the book, but you can also go to another website called tellyottpress.com. And that's T-E-L-I-O-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. And find a copy of the book there. I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about that history and where that might be taking us in the future. Thanks so much. Great. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Superintendent Radio Network, the podcast of Golf Course Industry Magazine, a production of GIE Media. I've been your host, Kyle Brown. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or the SRN page of golfcourseindustry.com. Talk to us at srn at gie.net or at GCI Magazine on Twitter. Thanks for listening.